a little uncomfortable. <laughs> nah, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Like, who they clapping for? Raquel? That's so awesome. <laughs> um, as you all know, those that have been with us, we are in the book of Nehemiah. Um, and we are learning and have been learning in the book of Nehemiah that through a politician whose heart was moved by God, Nehemiah was given instruction by his creator on the proper plan in order to restore his broken community and broken people. The plan to restore his community was God's plan. There's a lot of plans and ideas in how to restore broken communities. But God made it absolutely clear to Nehemiah that the people that he was calling towards him would look different than the people in the land and in the outside community that they had been living with. God's plan through Nehemiah was for his people to temporarily separate themselves so that they could restore their relationship to their creator and so that they could have clarity on what it was that God designed and desired for them to not only restore their broken condition, but after they were restored, to have the wisdom to be able to live a lifestyle that was guided and designed by God through his word. In chapter 10, which we will finish out today, and we looked at some passages from chapter 10 last week, we will be reminded that God is teaching the people at this stage in their instruction to be restored. The importance of being committed to his word. It is essential to have a commitment to God's word for his people in order to have the proper guidance in not only how God wants them to live, but who he is. You church folks probably understand this next statement I'm about to make, but prayer is when you talk to God. According to God's word, if you really want to hear from God consistently and confirm if that voice you're hearing is truly from God, the Bible says God has given us his word. That's how he speaks to us. So when you are meditating and you are looking at your word, you Christian folks will really relate to this. You might have experienced it but you're meditating on the Bible and all of a sudden light bulbs come on and it's like there's thoughts that are rushing into your mind and passages on the Bible just kind of 
highlight themselves almost like there is a spiritual highlighter that is focused in on those words that you're reading. And over time, you begin to understand and get the sense that that is God's spirit speaking to you through his word. Because that's how God has designed it. He has made us as human beings to learn how to communicate through verbal communication and through written communication. And so he has chosen to use his word. And it's how he has chosen to confirm that when he is speaking, that you know that it is from him, those voices that you might be hearing in your head. So if you do not meditate and study God's word, quite often you might be missing when God is speaking to you and trying to give you clarity for your life or a situation because that's how he's designed his ways that he would communicate with us. So God is teaching the Israelites the importance and value of his word, to know his word and be committed to his word. Then what that leads to, once you have a proper understanding of his word, that leads to God now in chapter 10, teaching the Israelites the lifestyle that he desires for them to live in this world. Our lifestyles as Christians, sometimes what can happen when you are not committed to his word and you don't have clarity through his word, that you get confused on what's right and wrong in terms of the way you live your life and your lifestyles and your values, morals and values. That's what happened to the Israelites, that they were so far from God and his word that their lifestyle was no different than the lifestyles of the people who did not know God. And that can happen and probably has happened in our culture and in the church today. Morally, it's hard to tell the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian because our lifestyles look similar to the world's lifestyle. And even our philosophy on right and wrong gets changed and then we're confused. So God is teaching them, the Israelites, know my word, then that should impact your lifestyle in this world. And then finally, once you learn and are experiencing God in that order, then the worship, the way you worship God and all that worship means, that becomes clear. Then there is proper worship that is acceptable to God and not only just tradition. I don't know if you all know this, and you probably don't think of it this way, but human beings are designed to worship. It is a part of our DNA, if you please. Many people don't think about it, but when you go to a football or basketball game and you are giving honor to that athlete, I can attest to Michael Jordan. I see Michael Jordan play. I'm screaming like a lady. Yeah. Ah, Michael. <laughs> Same thing with Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson running the room. Oh, my boy, Mike. I didn't realize it when I was younger and growing up. Casually, we, I would say, man, that dude is so cool, but I didn't realize that that's part of who we are and we worship things. 
We either worship people in man or we worship God, but we are worshipful beings. It is how we were designed. Michael Jackson gets worship. Michael Jordan gets worship. Celebrities get worship. We worship them through our screaming, through things we say about them, how awesome they are. We either say, oh, God is awesome, or we say, Kim Kardashian is awesome. That might have been a bad illustration. I don't know. <laughs> but you get my point. <laughs> Cut that from the audio. <laughs> Wasn't in my script. I shouldn't have said it. But we are worshipful beings, but what God wants us to learn is how to worship properly. And that cannot happen without the process of knowing his word and who he is, praying properly according to his word, then our lifestyle being proper. And then when you come to church on Sunday, the outflow of that is proper worship. You can't have proper worship without the first two. It might look like worship. It might sound like worship. But God knows if it's authentic. And really, all that matters is not if it's acceptable to the person sitting next to you. When it comes to worship, what really matters is, is it acceptable to God? And that should be your focus. <laughs> In chapter 9, before chapter 10, the Israelites made a decision as a body, as a community. They said, here's what we're going to do. They said, we're going to do these three things that I just mentioned. We're going to first separate ourselves from the world because our lifestyle is messed up. We are broken. We can't keep just saying we are for God and we're God's people. We are broken and we do not represent and we just can't keep hanging with folks that don't know God because they're bringing us down because we are not ready to represent God and serve them. Sometimes, brothers and sisters in the Lord that I'm speaking to, you need to get away from people who don't know God, not because you don't want to get back to them and influence them, but because they are influencing you. Sometimes you have to separate in order to get right with God. Because when you are not right with God, who you hang with and who you're spending time with directly affects how quickly you get back to him. And so they said, through the wisdom of the Lord and Nehemiah, we got to separate from folks. Not because they're better, but because they were broken. Separating from non-Christians don't make us better. We are sinful to the core that's why we know we need the Lord. True Christianity, my brothers and sisters, is people that recognize they're sinful and they're drawing to the Lord, not being better than people who do not know the Lord. But that's their perception quite often. It's not some separation in some cult where we're going to say, let's separate and then y'all drink poison. <laughs> it is separating yourselves because you are broken and God has called you to reach people but you are no longer in a condition to reach anyone. Sometimes it takes us being broken down or God allowing us to be broken down and tired of our condition, the way that we are living before we are ready to turn back to God. 
some of us, and maybe some of you under the sound of my voice this morning, God has had to strip you and break you down to get you ready again. So they said, we're going to separate from all foreigners. And then they stood and they recognized it's our sin. If you do not know the Lord here this morning and you want an idea or like Chris said, the core of what it means to really serve God. You cannot authentically and genuinely consistently come to God until you acknowledge that you're a sinner. We all know we're sinners, okay? That's not rocket scientist to anybody who does not know God. But it's you acknowledging it and being ready to turn from it to God. Sometimes Christians get to the point where they look like non-Christians. It's hard to tell. So they have to restore their relationship with God, and it always, always involves sin, and lifestyle. <laughs> so they said, Lord, we're going to confess our sins and the iniquities of the, those that influenced us. And in verse three, they stood up and then they said, we're going to focus on the word. And we're going to focus. For three hours, they had Baptist church. And it was an illustration of really what it takes when you really, really have to get right with God. You have to spend time. Part of worship also is you sacrificing time for God. In order to truly know and learn and understand God's word, there is no substitute for organizing and set aside, set, setting aside time. Over time, we will have options at Radius Church and keep learning what that looks like. But we have been learning that that when you organize your time and learn God's word in our culture today in America, there's several ways that you do that. Church in America today, for most people, happens like this. Okay, I'm sitting, I'm talking to you, and you're getting the word. And that's probably all the words some folks get. Okay. That's one way, okay? It is a good way, but it's a diet, Sunday service, as I call it. You won't really actually grow. It's a starter. It's a motivator. So you get the word on Sunday services. Another way you can get the word is through small groups, Bible studies. That's how the church, early church in Acts, when the church started, how it actually happened. They got in small groups, and they didn't really understand so when you're in a small group and you got different levels of understanding, you got people who are mature in the word and then you got people who are learning and then you got people who are on your level and you're in small groups and then you study. And then when you study, you come to that group ready to ask questions. Then you go back and study it again to make sure, hey, is what they said make sense? And then when you're studying, the spirit of the Lord confirms or reveals it in your soul. Yeah, that makes sense. That's called small groups or Bible studies. That's the next way you get the word. And you almost need both. But you got to organize it in your time. The third way you get the word is the most impactful. That can complement a Bible study. And that's when you're studying on your own. 
That's when you grow the most. When you're studying on your own and then you find someone to teach, that would be my next advice to you. This isn't organizing a PowerPoint. These are just principles. But when you study it on your own and you come to a small group and you have a chance to share, that's one way you can teach. Or you can study it on your own and then you can teach your children. That's another way. You're growing as you're teaching. Or you can grow to the point where you're leading a group. That's when you really start to grow. When you teach, that's when you really understand. Because your studying has more in-depth purpose. That's when you're meditating. Nehemiah, in the course of the book of Nehemiah, taught the people these things. But they started off just publicly learning the word together. Okay. Then they worshipped. They read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day, that's three hours, and then for another quarter of the day, they made confessions and they worshiped the Lord their God. Okay, that's when you really, in Baptist church or Pentecostal church or a lot of those good churches, you getting in the word and you worshiping for hours. Sometimes you call that a revival. They had a revival for six hours. Now, generally in our busy culture, folks don't have all that time or in churches like ours, we don't make all that time right now. But it's a good thing if it can be done. But don't worry, we ain't going to do that to you today. We ain't ready. We got to build up our spiritual muscles. <laughs> like, hurry up, brother. Keep it moving. I'm going to keep it moving. Okay. Then in chapter 10, just some, some highlights. And we're just highlighting chapter 10. Highlighting chapter 9. Highlighting chapter 10, we'll touch on some things. So then they said they made a commitment to the Lord and they were serious about it. Nehemiah 10, 28, the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers and the singers, the temple servants and everybody who decided to separate themselves from the people of the lands to the law of God's the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding. In verse 29, they join with their brothers, their nobles, those are the leaders, and they entered into a curse and an oath, in other words, a covenant, to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, to observe and do how many of the commandments? All. Okay. <laughs> All the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, in his rules, in his statutes. There is just so much in that one verse, but I'm not going to go into expository teaching mode because I'll lose a few people. I mean, I could just stay right there for the whole time, but I'm not. It's overview. So, Monique, if I miss something, don't come to me afterwards. Somebody, why didn't you say that? Why didn't you say that? Because we don't have time. I got to pick and choose. We ain't having three hours with me to preach. Okay. I love Monique. She knows. I, yeah, I know. See, that's, what, that's cool when we small. I could just talk to y'all. Like, you're just kicking it right now. <laughs> 
So they made a decision to make one of those oaths that we always say to God, God, if you get me out of this one, I'll never, ever, 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 ever do that again. In this curse and oath where they got this from is actually from Deuteronomy 28 or 27 and 28. You don't necessarily have to go to it, to it, Corey, but I think it's up there. Is it up there? Is it in there? Okay, that's cool. We'll go to it. They were quoting the Bible, and they knew this was in the Bible, and they knew they had made this agreement as a people through Moses. That if they did not do or follow the word, the people would enter into a covenant and a curse with God. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And all the people said, like they said in church, what do you say, church? Amen. amen. They agreed. Preacher preaching, you saying amen, but then we walk out, and then the question is, God is saying, you said amen, but did you really mean it? Okay. Then they told him again in verse 28, or chapter 28, Deuteronomy, the Lord, through Moses, but if you do, will not obey the voice of the Lord your God and be careful to do all his commandments in his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And then there's a list of all these curses. How many times, and I'm going to raise my hand, have we agreed with God that we're going to do what he says do and then not do it? Do you think God was surprised? No. How many times, parents, have your kids told you and have you said over and over and over again to the point you'd be like, what's wrong with you? How many times did your parents do the same thing to you when you were a child and your parents was like, what is your problem? You know the expectations, you know the rules, you keep telling me you're going to do it, but you won't do it. Why is God not surprised? Why did we do it to our parents? Why do our kids do it to us? Why? Sin. See, this is evidence of what the Bible says that is in man. There is something wrong with us. When your mama said, what's wrong with you? That was a great question. It's just the answer to that question. We tend not to get to the root of the, the problem of mankind. You didn't listen to your mama and your kids ain't going to listen to you. Because this world is broken. Now, does that take away God's expectations or a parent's expectations of you doing what's right just because you keep messing up? No, the expectations are still the same, right? Okay, hang in there with me on that. We're going to circle back to that. So they made a covenant to do all that was written in God's law. They were learning this lesson 
from God to the people for themselves. God first wants you to go from having an understanding of God's word. Here's the process. You learn and you understand. And hang in there for the people that were here last week. I know it's a little review. But now he's saying, once you understand God's word, now you have to commit to obey God's word. It's not about committing just to talk about his ways. But they said in verse 29, we will put our feet to the action. We will walk. It's not the, just the knowledge of the word of God that makes the difference in your life. It's the application of the word of God. James 1.22, I said it last week. It's a review. When you do not do what you say you're going to do, when you do not obey God like you say you're not going to, like you say you're going to obey God, the person you're deceiving is who? Yourself. Try to explain this to my kids when they are growing up, but now that they're here and they've grown, I'm going to explain it again in this context. <laughs> it's, it's not me. It ain't about me, your parent. You really need to do self-reflection. Because when you don't do what's right for your life, the person you're really hurting is you at the end of the day. So as a Christian, from God's perspective, when we are not obeying his word, really, it hurts us. It's not like God is sitting up there saying, man, I wish you, I need you. I want you. He does not need us. He's trying to help us. But sometimes God has to break us down to get us tired of doing it our way. And the question is, for whoever it's for, are you tired of doing it your way? Have you finally grown up or had enough heartaches where you finally say, like your parents told you was happening, it's like our parents are like prophets or prophetess. Like, man, my mama was right. My daddy was right. It's you really growing up to the point where you realize they were right. And it's us growing up to the point where we realize, finally, Lord, you were right. The other review that we reviewed last week, and then we got to say it again today. Let's make it clear today that this covenant is for God's people. So who am I talking to right now? Well, I'm talking to two groups. First, we're talking to God's people. Nehemiah, this chapter is first talking to people who made a covenant and a commitment to live for God. If that's you, I'm talking to you for a minute right now. Visitors, people that's figuring it out, we'll get to you before it's over. But they had knowledge and understanding at the end of verse 28. They recognize that. We know because you Christian folks, I ain't telling you nothing new, right? You know. But they made the covenant and the commitment. In the New Testament, those Christians that made the covenant, it is explained in this way, Ephesians 1.13. If you're a Christian here today, here's what happened in your transition to becoming a Christian. 
You heard the word. Somebody shared to you the good news about Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for your sins. If that has not happened, it's happening now. You recognize you're a sinner in that every time you're supposed to obey God's law, you keep messing up. You recognize, Lord, I cannot do this on my own. I keep sinning. I give up. I'm a sinner. When you heard that word, that gospel, then you accepted the word of truth, the gospel that saves you. You believed in him. Who is him? Jesus Christ. And then after you believed in Jesus Christ and God seen that it was authentic, it was genuine, you wasn't just coming up just to pray for a new car, a new house, God, get me out of this one. You're saying, I'm ready to change my lifestyle totally over to you, Lord. I am broken. I don't know if I'm going to have this new house, this new car. Please help me, Lord. But I finally get it. You're saying to me the symptoms of my problem, all these things that I'm going through is just symptoms. But the root of my problem is I don't, I haven't committed my life to you. I have sinned. And if you give your life to Christ and he sees you're authentic, then what God does is he swoops in and he fills you with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says then you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's like a seal. It's in you. Then 1 Corinthians 619, the Apostle Paul taught the people of God, and then God begins to teach you, who do you belong to now? You made a covenant with God. You saying, God, in exchange for you turning my life around, I am going to give my life to you because that's what he requires. Here's where some of the Christians, here's where we have the problem. Some of you under the sound of my voice, the word is there, you got it. You committed to Jesus Christ, but it's God having control of your life that some of us are still struggling with. Haven't grown to the point yet where we say, Lord, the spirit is in me now. This vessel that I have, my gifts, my talents, everything, it's all yours. When you think about giving to the Lord, he wants it all. That's the covenant you made. It's the exchange for you having eternal life when you die. Say more about that, but we don't have time. But you exchange your life in this life committed to the Lord. So when you pass over on the next life, God gives you eternal life. If you believe that's true, it is true, whether you believe it or not. But that's the way this thing works. Y'all still with me? Okay. Then we transition to the last two things. Once you have the word, then your lifestyle in the world. Here's what we struggle with. God wants you. How do you glorify God in your body? 1 Corinthians 6, 19. You glorify God by making decisions in your life according to God's word. Decisions about every area of your life. See, what happens is we give God this area, but we hold back that area. It's either because in his word we're not clear on it or we're clear on it, but we just are not willing to give it up yet or we're not ready. Somebody say, you ain't ready. Okay. So it's either we don't understand or we know, but we're just not willing to give it up. 
you have to make decisions according to God's word regarding your family, regarding your relationships with friends, your jobs, your time, your talent. God wants all of you. There's a cultural term nowadays that I know that y'all know your best life, like I'm living my best life. God is saying he wants your best life according to the way he's designing it. See, your best life is what God says your best life should be. Especially if you're a Christian, talking to you Christians right now. In verse 30, it gives us the principle that God is saying to you and me about the most important part of this principle of giving your life to God. It starts with your most intimate relationships, especially the ones that you have control to choose. They said in verse 30, Lord, we get it. We have the word. We understand. Now we understand what you want. We're not going to give our daughters or our sons to be in intimate relationships with people who do not know you. God knows your most intimate relationships are the ones that can affect your commitment to him. Close friends, relationships that you choose. If you are a kid here today and your parents are messed up, that's not your fault. God gets that. See, those are not relationships you can choose. You just got to grow up and God gets you out of that situation. But when there's relationships that you choose, friendships or dating, boyfriend, girlfriend, or who you will marry, God is saying, can I help you make that decision? And his requirements is, are they making just as much of a covenant commitment to me as you are? If they are not, that's not that person is not who you should be close, intimate, spending all of your time with. In Deuteronomy 7 and 3, 4, God, to the children of Israel, again, confirmed the point that I'm making here. Think this. He said to them, you shall not intermarry or give your daughters and sons to them. Why? Verse 4, they will turn your hearts away to serve other gods. God is not trying to keep people away from us because he don't want us to have something good. I don't care how fine they are. I don't care how intelligent they are. I don't care how much money they got. You made a covenant with God, Christian, as I'm speaking, Christian, if I'm speaking to you. And the agreement is, in the New Testament, the application is you will not be unequally yoked. I explained a little bit last week, so I can't say a, a, a whole lot about it. But being unequally yoked means that it is two different kinds of animals, different animals. And so you cannot be connected with someone who does not have the same commitment with you intimately. You can influence them. You can influence that friend. But if that's your best, best, best buddy and they're pulling you away from the Lord, red flag. If that girlfriend or boyfriend you're with does not have a covenant with the Lord, red flag. That's hard for most modern Christians today, unfortunately, because you see the trend where Christians are rebelling against that philosophy, mainly because of lack of clear understanding and discipleship in God's word. They are confused. 
They're not being taught properly. It's hype every week. It's pumping them up, but there's no teaching in God's word. They're not getting in the word intimately in small groups. They're not studying it for themselves. So it's people telling them what to do rather than it being how they think. If you're already in a marriage and someone's a non-Christian or you were married, you became a Christian, that type of situation, 1 Corinthians 7, we're not going to go there, but read 1 Corinthians 7. It gives you some sound wisdom because that happens and God realizes that's out of your control. Now you just have to learn how to navigate through it. It is difficult, but God's grace is there. Last one, we talked about commitments to God, God's word, our lifestyle as it relates to this world. And then finally, if those two things get right, it prepares your heart for proper and authentic worship accepted by God. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says it this way in the New Testament. Here's what real worship is. Here's where the authentic worship starts. He, Paul teaches this. He says, your spiritual service of worship, what worship is, starts, brothers, by you sacrificing your life to the Lord. When you just talk about it, praise God, hallelujah, but your lifestyle is different Monday through Saturday that is not acceptable worship to God. Acceptable worship to God starts with your lifestyle and your understanding of who he is. Paul says it right here. Sometimes what we think or what we understand or, or maybe haven't been taught clearly of what worship is happens when people are there on Sunday jumping around. And actually, there's nothing wrong with praising God. Don't hear me wrong. Praise him for sure. But the problem is, and I've been there, I grew up as a young Christian or when I became a Christian in that environment where everybody was praising him on Sunday, but nobody was living for him on Monday. And so it confused me because I wanted to be authentic, but I had no role models. Everybody praised him way better than me. But when people, when I look for those people to live the life, it was hard for me to find them. I seen them in the clubs, because I was still kind of going to the clubs. And I was like, dang, brother so-and-so, who be praising them every week? But then the Lord convicted me of that. Then I stopped going to the clubs. But brother so-and-so, who was my elder leader, was still going to the clubs. And then it could get even deeper than that, but don't have time. Don't have three hours. True worship starts with your walk. And then Paul says, you also, verse 2, can't be transformed or conformed to this world. He gave them more clarity in verse 2. In verse 1, he says, I want you to use your feet, give your whole body. And then he says, what's the strategy to this? He, or what more do I mean, he says in verse 2, I don't want you to compromise or be conformed to this world. But I want you to be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? God's word. It's the only way. 
First it starts with his word, then, it, then it's your lifestyle. Then when you come to Sunday, your praise is authentic. And then it's acceptable to God. Y'all still with me? All right. Almost there. Almost down to the wire. In Nehemiah, back to Nehemiah, and just highlighting these as we close, they transition to the last part of Nehemiah to focus on worship. They said in verse 32, we also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. Usually after this is said, preachers start asking you for money, okay? That's not going to happen today because we don't have time to get into it, but quickly I'm going to give some clarity here on true worship and giving. Sacrifice for God's house comes first out of a heart that is committed to worship God. The first two things we talked about. If you give God a tithe or sacrifice to his house, and you don't have the other two things right, then it's not true authentic worship. Giving to the house of God or tithes are not designed for visitors who are guilted into giving. That is not what tithes is supposed to be designed for. I remember when I used to come and visit churches, I'd always have that dollar ready, right? Because I know the plate is coming around, I feel guilty, I'm thinking this is what church is. I put my dollar in. Well, Jesus gave an illustration that says the, the woman that gave less with the right heart gave more than the person that gave a lot. My dollar meant absolutely nothing to the Lord. I might as well not even gave it. But the preacher wanted you to give it because they want the light bills on. I get it. That's a different focus. But it's not why you should be given and it's not how it should be taught. It's the people of God that are committed to God who should be understand it and give to the house of God. They are the ones who should be sacrificing so that God's house can be in order. If you are visiting and you just want to be nice, cool. Preachers don't mind. We don't mind. Give your dollar. But let's just make it absolutely clear. It is doing nothing for God because it's not like God needs our money to give us something that he created that he can give us anytime he gets ready. Giving to the house of God is another opportunity and method that God gives us to worship him. He does not need it. And then in verse 35, they give another principle. We obligate to our, ourselves to bring the first, somebody say first, of our ground, the first of all of our fruit, the first. If God is second in the giving of your gifts, the giving of your time, the giving of your talent, he says don't even give it. God does not need a guilt given. He wants you to be committed to him, and it's because you appreciate him, and because of his mercies of your life, and because you made a covenant with him. I was going to teach about tithes, but I don't have time, so my apologies. Verse 39 of what a tithe means in a tenth and all of that. But we'll get to that over time. Verse 39, the people of Israel and the sons of the Levites shall bring forth the contribution of the grain, wine, and the oil in the chambers 
where the vessel of the sanctuary are, and as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers, everybody's given, and they said, we will not neglect the house of our God. My brothers and sisters, if you made a covenant to Christ today, we are the ones to make sure God's house is in order. If you are visiting here today and you are trying to figure out the gospel, keep coming, because learning the gospel and the good news um, is something that some people learn and clearly understand over time, and some people don't clearly understand it, but they have a heart to commit their lives to God, and if that's you this morning, you don't have clear understanding, because I didn't when I gave my life to the Lord. I didn't fully understand, but I knew the Lord was moving on me, and I was ready. Somebody say, are you ready? Galatians says it like this. Last verse, I said I would get back to that curse thing, and I promise this is the last verse. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a what? Curse. For it is written, curse be everyone who does not abide by how many? All things written in the book of the law and do them. Do you think God expects any of us to be perfect? He knows we have a condition called sin. These standards are there. This stop sign is there, the law, so to speak, so that we know that there's a standard and that we keep breaking it. In God's perspective, the speed limit is there because that teaches you when it says go 55, you're going to go 57. Why do you do that? Because there's something in you that pushes you to break the law. And the Bible says, and Paul says in Roman, there's something in me is sin. Each of us has different sins. Some of us obey the law here, but we don't obey it there. So we shouldn't be judging other folks. We all have our issues. But those standards is how God reveals to people that there's something wrong with them and you have to deal with that. But you do not try to live the law to get right with God. The law is here to teach us we have a problem and we have to deal with it. So here's what happened. Verse 13, Galatians. Here's what Jesus Christ did. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming what? A curse for us. He basically is taking the punishment that you deserve for breaking God's law. When you die and stand before God, the question that's going to be on the table is, did Christ pay the penalty that you deserve? That's what God will look at. That seal of the Holy Spirit will be that stamp that says you authentically and genuinely accepted Christ and he forgave you for your sins. If you never did that and you stand before God and says, well, I was better than that person, better than that person, I never murdered, God is going to say, but the requirement of the law is that you obey all of it. And nobody's going to do that. So that's why Christ had to come. That's the difference between Christianity and general religion. Is general religion is that you hope you did good enough or other religions to get good to God, to be good enough to go to heaven. Christianity says there's no way you can be good enough. That's why it's not a black man or white man's religion. It is a religion, Christianity, that teaches us that you are sinful and you need a savior according to God's standards. If you want to make it a black, white man's religion, you do that, that at your own risk. And I know those guys are intelligent who teach that. 
but they have a lot of knowledge, but they are not coming, as the Bible says, to the knowledge of the truth because they are leading people to a lost hell. Because Jesus Christ was Jewish, he was brown. The people who misrepresented Christianity, they misrepresented it, but you better not hold that against the truth of the gospel that you need. It is written, curses everyone who is hung on a tree, and then verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham's might come to the Gentiles, that's you and me, so that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit through trusting in Christ's faith. When the singers come up, and singers can come up now, and they're singing and we're worshiping, and I don't know, Anderson's not here if we got anybody to pray, but you can pray right in your seat. If you are not sure this morning, anybody, I don't care who it is, that you have accepted Christ as your Savior, right there in your seat or you can come up, don't wait another day. Give your life to Christ so that he can take away that curse. If you are a Christian, Radius Church, we are looking to build a core team. I, I am not discouraged when I only see a few people because I know Radius is right where God wants us to be. We are developing a core team so that God can build committed people that are right in the word, right with their lifestyle, be in, in right with worship before we're ready to bring other people in. God knows what we need, and I am not worried about it. But if God is calling you to build our core team, like it's been said, come see us. In Jesus' name.